we have been working on, shall we say, today's sermon <laughs> through Jan Markison for a long time. And we're delighted that he and his wife have arranged to come here. You know, they live something like six hours away, so this is a long journey, uh, even with today's automobiles. <laughs> so we're just so delighted that they're here. Uh, Jan has written a book that's been published in, um, I don't know how many languages, but many. 65? 65 languages. Book I'm going to show you in a moment. Millions and millions of copies of this have been sent around this globe. And it's uh, it's the National Sunday Law book I hold in my hand. So Jan, you're so welcome to our microphone, I, I can't put it in words. So thank you for coming and, and worshiping with, with us today, Jan Markison. His title would be, When the Beast Meets the Beauty. Oh, I'm sorry, there is a text that he wished me to read to you. I was so excited about introducing him here. The text for the morning to approach God's throne is this. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. The Lord is good, isn't he? He's so good to us, and I'm so glad to be with you here this morning with my wife, sweet Vanita. Maybe some of you have met her. And uh, actually, our home is in southern Illinois. We live right near 3ABN. Have you ever heard of 3ABN? So we live right near there. That uh, My program uh, was the first program they ever showed on that network. I'm sure that nobody saw it because it was shown in the middle of the night. But uh, uh, that's when they opened. Uh, that was December of 1986. And they ran my two programs for a number of years. Uh, anyway, uh, so our home is in southern Illinois, but we're visiting our daughter in Coulterville near Yosemite. So we're so glad to be here from there. We're all one big family, isn't that right? One big family. And praise God for that. Uh, as... Our elder mentioned this morning, or all of you know, things, uh, actually we're in the end of the world. Do you believe that? We really are. We're in the end of the world. And that's why these horrors and calamities and troubles and heartaches and all of this is going on because God knows that people are getting worse and worse and the the uh, everything's getting worse and and unless they feel a need of Jesus, they will not pray to him. They will not. And they'll go on until they're doomed forever. And God doesn't want that. He wants them to be saved. And the only way they can be saved and have peace and joy and happiness forever is to cry out to God. To, and first, feel their need of God. And God sees they're not reading the Bible. They're not filling their minds with the Word of God. And so what can he do except allow the devil to do something that God knows will make them feel their desperate need of God. Therefore, the devil does it. And when the devil does it, God doesn't do it. The devil does it because of certain things. Uh, drifting, they're drifting away from God. And so God allows 
the devil, uh, of course, they, they don't invite God's protection. So in God's wisdom and in his love, tender love, he simply allows the devil to do some horrible thing to make them feel their need. And then they cry out to God, Oh, God, help me. God, save me. Now God has permission to send his angels and drive the devils back and send his good angels and save them and bless them and forgive them and give them eternal life. And so did you ever know that God uses the, de the devil to save people? The devil is the greatest evangelist this world has ever seen. He has driven more people to Jesus than any evangelist that has ever been born. Have you ever thought of that? And so when you see the big picture, you understand people go through suffering, terrible suffering. But keep in mind, God sees the end from the what? Beginning. And this is why God allows the devil to do many things that seem horrible, but keep in mind, God only allows it to save people. And uh, for instance, when you go in the army, when I went in the army, it drove me closer to God. A friend of mine who grew up with me in church school, it made him go to the devil. He's smoking a cigar. And so calamities and things make people go one way or the other. Keep that in mind. Sickness, the death of loved ones, horrible things that happen to your loved ones or friends. God is in control, and he's only allowing it to drive them to Jesus so they can live forever. How does that sound to you? Isn't that nice? Oh, that's nice. You see, so God is so wise and so kind and so good that he overrules what the devil is doing to save people. Uh, okay, now, uh, I'm a fifth-generation Seventh-day Adventist, but uh, that doesn't guarantee that I'll be in heaven, does it? Uh, because it wasn't until I was 18 years old that I surrendered my life to the Lord. And what made me feel my need of Jesus was something horrible that happened to me. Many, 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 many times... People come to Jesus because something horrible has happened to them. But if we could see the end from the beginning like God does, <laughs> it would help a lot, wouldn't it? <laughs> Here in, 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 in the Bible, it says, Rejoice in the Lord how often? Always. And again, I say, rejoice. Now, God wouldn't say that if there's... If there's no reason to say it, if it wasn't true, just so he could, the devil could mock at us or we'd be disappointed. When you take God's word, are you ever disappointed? Never, never. And so you see the devil is trying to discourage us, but the lovely Jesus is lifting us up. Now, I'm going to say things that I didn't have planned to say today. In fact, this morning I showed my wife my sermon notes. I said, sweetheart, do you want to see my sermon notes? And I said, here they are. And uh, it's just a bunch of writing on a piece of paper. And uh, so I have things on there that I'll probably mention, but it's a good chance I'll say a lot of things that are not on there. But you don't mind, do you? Just so the Holy Spirit blesses. 
And that's what we ask for, his blessing. Um, let's go back in time. Let's go back way, way, way back. Let's go back before this earth was made. Let's go back before the angels were made, before the galaxies and planets and systems and nebulas were made. Let's go back. Every, I mean, the world disappears. The sun, the moon, the stars disappear. All the galaxies disappear. Our Milky Way uh, galaxy disappears. Everything disappears because God hasn't made them yet. There was a day that he made things. Isn't that right? And the day before that, they didn't exist, right? That's right. Okay, so we're going back so far that absolutely nothing exists. There's nothing in the entire universe. It's a total empty vacuum of blackness. And there's nothing except what? Except God. When was God born? He never was born. How long had he been there? Forever. Do you understand that? I don't. He always was. Never had any beginning. We don't comprehend that. You cannot comprehend that. But that's why he is God. And I'm thankful for that. He always was. And was he different back then than he is now? No, he's exactly the same. And how long did God live in the blackness of empty space with absolutely nothing? Forever backwards. Forever and ever and ever backwards he lived. Now, in prison, the worst punishment you can give somebody is solitary confinement. You just put them in a little room where nothing. And uh, that's the worst thing you can happen to you. And that's the way God was. He was all alone in the blackness of nothing. For how long? Forever. Therefore, wasn't he terribly miserable and lonely forever? The answer is no. Why not? Because of God's four names in the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, Hebrew has four names for God. Uh, in Genesis 1.1, we find the first one. In the beginning, God. Uh, that word God is the Hebrew word Elohim. It has an I am on the end of it. Do you know what the letters I am mean on the end of a Hebrew word? What does it mean? It means the same as our letter S. When you put an S on the end of the word, it makes it what? Plural. I am on the end of that word makes that word God plural. It says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The word is plural. It literally is saying, in the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth. But we know there's not two or three gods. There's just one God. Therefore, why did they? Why is that? does that word have an S on the end of it? You know why, don't you? Because our one God is our Heavenly Father. And our one God is Jesus. And our one God is the Holy Spirit. That's why there's an S on the end of that word. But the translators, uh, they said, what are we going to do with this? It's plural. They said, we can't put an S on it. They said, let's keep it singular, even though it's plural. So they did. And I think they did the right thing. But we understand it. Another name for God in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is El Shaddai. That's the God of power. I like that name for God because 
The devil's trying to discourage people, but we need a God of power today, don't we? We need a God of power to overrule the devil and save our loved ones and outsmart the devil and help bring them to Jesus. We need the God of power, and we have one. Oh, yes. Jesus is not only the lamb, he's also the what? The lion of the tribe of Judah. Those of you who get my newsletters, you'll notice on the first couple pages of the letter, there's a picture of a lion on there. And uh, you'll read about the lion of the tribe of Judah. By the way, uh, every two weeks or so, I write, uh, write a newsletter twice a month, and I've been doing it since 1985. How many years is that? Uh, what, 27 years? 27 years. I've been sending out. Now, the book, the National Sunday Law book, is in 38, uh, 38 million in print, and God gets all the praise for that. Isn't that right? Uh, the reason why the, that God is pushing it out so much in 65 languages is because the book just happens to give the three angels' messages in such a simple way that even a child can understand it. And I don't know, there, most people are not giving the three angels' messages. They don't, most Adventists don't even know what it is. <laughs> so that's, that's why God's been pushing them out, because God commanded us to give that message to the world. And so the book just happens to do that, and that's why he's inspiring people to get them out. And so we sent a thousand of these here, and there's no way that I'm going to sell anything. Uh, I tell people, you live for money now, you'll die with your money. You live for ease and pleasure, you'll end up with the mark of the beast. If you live for Christ, you'll live forever. And so I'm going to give these books away. What's the next word? Free, that's right. I'm going to give you 1,000 books free. This afternoon, you're welcome. This afternoon at 1.30, right after the meeting is over, we're going to take these 10 boxes of books, there's 100 in each box, and we'll put them on a table back there. So as you leave, um, they'll dump them out, and they'll put them in little stacks of maybe 25 and as you leave, you can just get a stack, 25, and uh, take them home. And uh, you can give them to people, but I've found it's even better to just lay them where people walk or sit, like in a laundromat or a bench or a phone booth or a doorstep. So when they come to the door, they see it, and they look around. They don't see anybody. Now, instead of being prejudiced, they're what? Curious. Where did this come from? And so they read it. What is this law about? And so now they get the three angels' messages without their prejudice or you getting in the way. You see? And uh, see, if you ring the doorbell, they'll ask you what church you're with, and then you just turn them off because people are prejudiced. But on the other hand, when they find it on their doorstep, now they're curious, and they say, what is this? So, so they're going in their house reading it. I know because I've been down the street and I've watched them praising the Lord. Oh, it's wonderful. And I put them, I put them uh, on the sidewalk right in front of a, a restaurant. And I'll just as I walk along, I'll just let it fall on the, right on the sidewalk as I'm going in there. And I sat in there, and a man came in and sat down right in front of me and started reading it. He didn't know, he didn't know I had a thing to do with it. And I enjoyed that very much. He's getting the three angels' messages. Um, so, 
uh, be sure to be here at the 1.30 meeting so you can get some of these. And because of this, God is going to use you to help somebody get to heaven. Isn't that a thrilling thought? I mean, we can't save anybody, but God can. And he uses little simple things that we do. Our part is very small. God's part is big, but when we, huge, yes. When we do our little part, then God does, and the angels do their big part. And if it wasn't for our little part, it wouldn't get done, you see. Uh, but thank God we can do our little part, and after we do it, we don't take any credit. We just praise God for it. Um, now, the uh, uh, when God made, you know, we talked about him being alone forever and ever, but he wasn't miserable or lonely. We, we talked about the God, the uh, Elohim. We talked about the God of power. Uh, then there's El Elyon, but then there's a fourth name for God, Yahweh, and that name means the ever-present one. What does that mean? That means that to God, all time is present time. What does that mean? That means God sees forever into the past, just like it's happening right now. He sees right now all over the universe. He sees tomorrow and the next day and trillions and zillions of years into the future forever, just like it's happening right now. God sees it. Before he ever made Lucifer or this world or anything else, he knew every thought that everyone would ever think forever. He knew it all. And he still created Lucifer and this world knowing everything. Why did he do it? Some people say, why did he just not make Lucifer and it wouldn't have happened? Or he could have just not made the world. This world is so tiny that it's like a tiny leaf in a vast forest. There are billions and billions and billions of other planets with billions and maybe trillions of other people living there. So our scientists are looking for life in outer space. Have you noticed that lately? They don't know it, but they're right. There is a lot of life, but not like they think. It's the people on other planets that have never sinned and loved Jesus very much. You're going to see those people. Isn't that wonderful? We're going to travel to those planets and fly along with Jesus and land on those planets and talk with those people. I'm sure they'll invite you to their home for a good meal. I'm sure they will. And you'll sit down and they'll feed you on all these many planets. And we can do all kinds of things. Uh, the whole universe will be open to the study of God's redeemed. Now, the only thing that I won't talk about that now, but at 1.30, we're going to talk about a lot of things that are going to be happening in the near future. The, talk, the topic of the talk this, this afternoon at 1.30 is entitled National Sunday Law. And I'm going to be talking about this law and about things that are going to be happening between now and when this law is passed. And I'm going to be talking about things that are going to be happening after that law is passed. And I'm going to be talking about things that are going to affect you and your family and our loved ones, and you may have never even heard of such a thing that I'm going to be talking about at 1.30, so don't dare miss it. And if you have a telephone, call somebody and get them here at 1.30 so that they can come here and, and uh, learn these things. I'm also going to show you something up on this screen uh, that will be very interesting as well. Uh, so uh, now 
know God knowing everything and seeing the future and knowing everything and experiencing it like it's right now, that's why God was not lonely or miserable because he saw the 6,000 years of misery in this world, but he also saw forever after this was over. One day is with the Lord as a what? A thousand years. And a thousand years is as what? One day. Therefore, to God, 6,000 years is blip, and it's over. Blip, that's it. 6,000 years just went by. It's over. And now God's people are happy forever. Now, when God created the whole universe, he created everything, and this planet was the last planet that he created, but there still was something missing. Can you guess what it was? I don't think anyone here can guess, but I'm going to tell you. There's still one thing missing that God does not have yet. And he's wanting it, but he doesn't have it yet. He does not yet have a wife to sit beside him. God wanted a wife to sit with him right next to him in his throne. He's craving to have a wife. He's lonely for a wife. He wants a wife. He doesn't have one yet to sit with him, but he's making one. He made Lucifer, the greatest and highest being in the whole uh, universe. Uh, uh, the prophet says that Lucifer was the most beautiful, the most powerful, that an internal God could possibly make one being. But Lucifer didn't turn out to be God's wife, did he? No, he turned out to be the great enemy. And so God's wife cannot be just one being. God's wife is going to be an entire planet of people made in his own image, that have gone through suffering and heartache and all kinds of troubles and have learned to hate sin so much that they're clinging to Jesus and will never sin again. By his grace, he's going to do it. And he's doing it for you right now. So don't worry about what suffering you've got. It's all calculated to keep you close to Jesus. And all the suffering your loved ones are going through, it's calculated by God to bring them to Jesus so they can be sitting on a throne with him. Isn't that wonderful? When you see the whole big picture, I tell you, it gives us a reason to rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. And again, I say rejoice. Praise God. Praise God. When you see the whole picture. And where is the whole picture? It's in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. I tell you this, anybody filling their mind with the Bible is on their way to heaven. Most people are not doing that, are they? They're on their way with some, some other place. You know where. But anyone that's filling their mind with the word of God every day is on their way to heaven. And this is why God allows the devil to do things to people to make them feel their need not only to pray, but to get a Bible and study it. You know, a lot of um, people on my that get my newsletter, a lot of them are prisoners in prison. I guarantee you, a lot of those men are reading their Bibles. They didn't have any time to read the Bible before when everything was going fine. Now in prison, they're reading the Bible. 
and they're coming to Jesus and they feel their need. And if God can get them to heaven that way, it's all right, isn't that right? It's all right. Uh, uh, you know, it's not good. Not everything is good, but all things work together for good to them that love God. Praise God for that. God gives us lots of comfort. And so God is producing his wife, and you and I can be part of that wonderful group. You know, when the angels, Lucifer and his angel friends sinned, what proportion of angels fell uh, or cast out of heaven? One third, that's right. And did you know that the prophet reveals that the vacancies made in heaven are going to be filled up with guess who? People from this planet. That's right. Uh, there are only a certain number of crowns. And when though that number of those crowns are made up to go on the heads of those people, Jesus comes. Did you know that's why Jesus could have come way back in the 1800s? If that number had been filled up, he would have come. But the people back then fumbled, you might say in modern terms, they fumbled the ball. In other words, they didn't live for God. They didn't get the message of God out to the people, the three angels' messages. And so they fumbled and they lost their crown. That crown that they should be on their head now passes to another person. And the crown that should be on somebody now that's dead is passing to you. If you fumble the ball, so to speak, that crown will go to another person. Because God is no respecter of what? Persons. So I tell you, it's a high honor to be wearing that crown. And you know, when you wear that crown, that crown should have belonged to somebody else. But God is no respecter of persons. They fumbled the ball. Now it has come to you. Don't fumble the ball. Amen. Don't allow it. Don't, it says don't lose your crown. Don't let it out to go to somebody else. Because it will if you turn away and don't appreciate the great salvation of God. Oh, it makes me appreciate it. And so, uh, by the way, how many of you do not receive my free monthly letter, but you'd like to get it? Could I see your hand if you'd like to get it and you don't get it yet? It keeps you updated constantly. Thank you. Keeps you updated constantly with what's going on leading to this law. So I've got a sheet of paper at our 1.30 meeting. I'll have a deacon uh, give you this sheet that you can put your name and address on very neatly and they'll pass them up and I'll be glad to send you these free monthly letters. And those of you who can get them, you have, you have my permission to make copies of them for others because it will definitely open people's eyes. They, people are in a stupor today, aren't they? They really are. They need their eyes open and the letter will help do that. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke and I'm going to read quickly. I'm going to read the uh, scripture reading that uh, Dr. Jennings read this morning. Luke 23, verse 33. You know, if somebody came in this morning with a burden of guilt on your back and the devil is telling you that there's no hope for you, you're too bad. I can tell you this right now. That God loves you. The lovely Jesus died for you. And if you'll only say, dear Jesus, I, I claim your blood. I claim your blood. Take me now. Take me right now. I claim your blood. Forgive and cleanse me. Take me. Your sins are gone. <laughs> your sins are gone. 
Because Jesus promised. He promised to do it. It's his blood. It's his grace. And your sins are gone. Praise God. And you can lay your head on your pillow tonight knowing that everything's all right between you and God. And if you ever sin in the future, you can. the devil will tell you, look what you just did. Get thee and Satan in Jesus' name. For it is written, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth me from all sin. Thank you, dear Father. Thank you, dear Jesus, for your blood. Thank you that my sins are gone. And you never need be discouraged ever again. How many of you with me right now choose Jesus as your Savior and his blood and his grace to help you never sin again? Could I see your hand right now? You choose him. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, I tell you, that's a wonderful thought, isn't it? Our sins are gone. And, um, you know, I love the quote. In fact, I'm going to read it right now. As you keep your finger on Luke 23:33, I'm going to read... This quote, it's from Sons and Daughters of God, page 222. It says, Without the cross, man could have no union with the Father. On it depends our every hope. From it shines the light of the Savior's love. And when, at the foot of the cross, the sinner looks up to the one who died to save him, he may rejoice with fullness of joy for his sins are pardoned. Isn't that beautiful? You come to the cross, you look up to Jesus, that very moment, your sins are gone. Just like when they look to the snake on the pole in the wilderness. The moment their eyes fell on that snake, their sins were, they were healed. Healed. It's the same today because the snake on the pole represented what? The lovely Jesus. Now, let's uh, take our Bible and let's read this this text, Luke 23:33. again, I'm going to read it. It says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lobs. You know, I can't read that without it doing something to my heart. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. Jesus didn't struggle in the arms of the, in the hands of the soldiers. He just spread his arms out and let them nail them to the cross. Can you imagine great spikes being driven through his tender flesh? He laid his arms out as if to say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that beautiful? The moment you turn to the lovely Jesus, peace and rest comes into your heart. Uh, this is how God is producing his wife, his people, to sit on thrones with him by attracting them to Christ and giving them that crown. It's a free gift. Who in the world could resist such a thing? Only somebody who's completely deceived. But this is why God in his love is allowing even the devil to drive them to Christ by troubles and, and, and trials. And, and God sees that he's doing everything possible to get everyone possible to heaven. And I'll tell you this. God is doing such a good job. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit are doing such a good job 
that finally when they are finished their work, and Jesus throws down the censer and says, it is finished, and probation for the world closes, and not one more person will ever be converted. When that happens, God has done such a good job that every single human being on this planet who would ever enjoy it in heaven will be saved. I'll say that again. Every person who would enjoy it in heaven with Jesus will be saved. Everyone else, would they enjoy it in heaven? The answer is no. It would To them, it would be a place of eternal torment. And God is not going to have any place of eternal torment forever and ever. There is going to be no eternally burning hell. Hell is going to burn out. Did you know that? <laughs> Praise God. It's going to go out. In Isaiah 66, it, it shows that there won't even be coals to warm your hand at. Uh, there's not, uh, hell is not going to be eternal torment. Neither will heaven be eternal torment for the wicked. They'd rather welcome death to get away from the face of him who died to save them. They would not want to be in heaven and neither you, you would not want them to be there. You would not even want them to go through eternal torment in heaven and neither would they want to be there. And so God is so fair and so kind that in the very end, after the thousand years, when the throne of God is or Jesus is raised up, and every living person, the righteous in the city and the wicked outside the city, having surrounded it, and even the devil himself will fall on his knees and confess that Jesus is Lord, and he's just and fair and kind. Isn't that wonderful? What will accomplish that? The cross of Calvary. Praise God. That's why it says... And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And so, thus God is producing his bride through the horrors of the last days. And you know, I'm glad to live in these last days, aren't you? I think many times about the people who lived 100 years ago, 200, 300, 1,000, 2,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000. Uh, we're going to meet those people in heaven. And talk with them. Wouldn't that be interesting? To talk with those people. And other people on the other planets. It'd be so interesting. We're going to have how long to do it? Forever. And once heaven starts, when will it end? Never. And it's so soon. There's only months. And I'm not going to tell you how many. Because I don't know. There's only months between now and the time that Jesus comes. You say, why do you say months instead of years? Because... Uh, you know, people say, oh, we've got years and years. I say months. And even though we don't know how many months, God knows how many. And I believe that if he were to reveal it, I believe even a child would be able to count the months. We have between now and the time you're going to see with your own eyes the face of God. You're going to see the face of God. And if you're filling your mind with the Word of God instead of the TV, you will be very happy to see His face. You'll say, look, this is our God. We, When all the other people are screaming and try, trying to kill themselves, you'll say, look, you'll be happy. Most people will not be happy, but thank God you can be happy to see Him. Now, there's two things. 
two things that I want to all want to emphasize today, just two. What are, what's the main thing we're living for in this world? What is the main thing? Well, two things. Number one, to have the assurance that you're right with God, all your sins are gone, you have peace in your heart, and you're ready to meet the Lord. Isn't that a big thing? That's number one. And today, before you leave here, you're going to have that assurance. In fact, you've got it right now. Because we have claimed the blood of Jesus. We've been looking up to Jesus by faith. And according to the word of Jesus himself, your sins are gone. They're pardoned. Who said so? Jesus did. If you believe it, it's true right now. The only way it would not be true is if you refuse to believe it. But God says, uh, you know, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When? Right now. Praise God. Right now. You look up and you say, dear Jesus, take me right now. I claim your blood. Take me. Forgive me. Give me strength to obey you forever. I claim Jesus. I claim you. Take me. Thank you, dear Father. My sins are gone because you promised. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's true. It's true. Praise God. Leap for joy, it says. Now, what's the next thing we need? What's the second big thing? Well, we have this assurance now. And so the next question is, what do we do now? Would you go and sit in a rocking chair? No. Now the big thing, the second big thing is, what do we do? What are we living for? Why were we born? One big thing, to give the three what? The three angels' messages to the world. And in those three angels' messages contain everything the world needs to get from this earth to heaven. It's in those three messages. The everlasting gospel is in there. The warning is in there against worshiping the beast and its image. And we'll talk more about that this afternoon. Uh, everything you need is in there. And, of course, that's why I wrote the book, National Sunday Law. When you lay that on a bench or lay it anywhere, you've just given somebody the three angels' messages. And you go your merry way, and you don't know what happens to it, but God knows. And the angels of God will guide the person, the right person, to see it and pick it up. I get letters all the time, and I put them in my letters telling you what these people are saying, how they found the book or given the book and accepting it, and it gives you a lot of joy. And we didn't have anything to do with it. It's God's work, but it gives us a lot of joy. And so uh, our part now is we already have salvation and peace with God. Now we start praying, oh, Lord, now, now uh, help me. I don't know what to do. Help me to get your message to the world. I don't know how to do it. Help me do it, Lord. If God hears you praying a prayer like that, how does he feel about it? Oh, he loves it. He loves to hear prayers like that. Uh, I, uh, most people are not praying prayers like that. Lord, help me reach the world. Help me reach people. Have you ever heard anybody pray like that? Help me reach people with the three angels' messages. It's very rare that you'll ever hear that kind of prayer. But if you dare to pray that prayer, God loves to answer that prayer. Uh, before I wrote this book, I went out worship in the morning, and I went out in the woods, and I sat on a pile of old tires and boards, and I was reading the last chapters of great, the book Great Controversy. And that's what inspired me to write this book. And I'd give, I used to give out Great Controversies on doorsteps, but I found that now with their TV minds, most people won't read it. 
they get bogged down in the dark ages and they just get to the part that they need to learn. And so I read, was reading the last five chapters, telling what's going to happen in the future and all these things, and it burned in my heart. And I prayed, Lord, help me. I, we've got to get this message to the people somehow. How can I do it? And it was after that the Lord impressed me to write that book, to make that same message geared to the modern mind, the modern TV mind today, and move, to move quickly uh, so that it, it, it holds their interest, you see. And uh, that's why God is blessing, and he gets all the praise. And so now uh, God will help you to, to, to do that, and that's why we're giving a thousand eaves away to, uh, to you so that you can do that and have part in this wonderful work, and you'll have the joy of, of this, and you won't take any credit. You'll just be praising the Lord. Now there's one more thing I want to share, and that is this. Uh, God knows... The Bible says our God is a consuming what? Fire. Can sin live in his presence? No. Therefore, the people that are part of his wife that he's producing to sit on his throne with him, those people, before God takes them there to receive those crowns, they must become sin-proof. And you might say, <laughs> me be sin proof? Me never sin again? Uh, is God strong enough to do that? We will either allow him to do that or we will be along with all the rest of the people, which is most of the people of the world that get burned up, uh, who have lost their crown. Uh, we've got to come to the place we're willing to allow God, not us, we can't do it, but to allow God to make us sin-proof. And he will do it. That's why Bible study is so important. It's the words of the Bible by the Holy Spirit that, that does this for you. It's a miracle. Every day he's working to do this for you. And all of us are moving one way or the other. And did you know you can read the Bible in one year if you read three chapters a day? Read three chapters a day. You'll read the whole Bible in one year. And uh, I, I have a, um, a smartphone. You know what a smartphone is? It's just a phone that does things more than talk on the phone. It, it's a phone that what I did, I put the whole Bible on here uh, with Alexander Scorby reading the whole Bible. So I can listen to him, the Bible and I'm going through the whole Bible. Uh, and I've done it once. I'm doing it again now. And uh, then also in this little thing, I put the entire spirit of prophecy. All of it is in there. And so with this one phone, I can read all the spirit of prophecy. I have all the whole Bible right in this thing. And you can do that if you want to. And I, I like it because I've already got, always got the Bible and spirit of prophecy right here. So what I love to do in the morning, uh, I love to read things about Jesus, like in Desire of Ages, Steps to Christ. Uh, thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, uh, Christ's Object Lessons, things that feed your soul, the tender grass. You see, in the morning, the, the shepherd takes the sheep where the grass is tender. It's got a lot of dew on it. They eat the tender grass in the morning, and then in the afternoon, he takes them to a part of the field where the grass is more tough. You can read things like Chronicles and things that don't really f feed your soul like the life of Jesus does. And so I like to read the tender grass in the morning.
his life. And then the more heavy things in the afternoon. That's the way the shepherd leads the sheep. Isn't that nice? And so you can be reading through the Bible and, and then getting the in the things about Jesus in the morning. And you keep it with you all day. And it, it, it just fills you with peace and joy. If I missed that in the morning, I could not function. I just would have no peace all day. But by feeding your soul in the morning, it feeds all day long. Well, one more thing that God has to do for us. He's got to help us understand the horribleness and danger of sin, even one sin. And there's many things in nature that helps us understand that. Like everything good for us, like the law of God is good for us, isn't it? It will also kill you if you violate it. Uh, God gives us illustrations of this in nature. The sun is good for us. We can't live without it, but it can kill you if you get too much of it. Uh, water, we've got to have water to live, but it can kill you if you get too much. Uh, air, we've got to have air to breathe, but air can kill you, like in tornadoes or hurricanes. Um, everything good that you can think of can also kill you. And this is why God gives these things to help us see in every illustration of life to obey the laws of God perfectly, uh, the law of gravity. We must have it or we'd flow out in space and die, but it can kill you. You violate it and step off a uh, building, you fall down and it'll kill you. And so all these lessons God gives us. God gave me a lesson one time with a screwdriver. I was a, I was a, uh, a um, electrician's helper. Uh, years ago, and so they took me up on the fifth floor of this building. They were uh, the whole building, the floor anyway, was vacant except there was no walls, nothing in there except some tables that some secretaries were typing. But there was no carpet, just a bare concrete floor, and the holes in the floor with the wires sticking out. They were still working on that floor, and so the electrician took me there and sat me down in front of a hole with some wires coming out. There was 550 volts in those wires. I'd never even heard of that many volts. And so he sat me down and he said, stay here. I'm going to get something. I'll be back. And so I sat there and uh, heard the secretaries talking and typing. And, and I was sitting in front of those wires and I had a screwdriver. And those wires were bare, bare wires. One was black and one was red. And so do you think the devil tempted me to put my screwdriver and touch both those wires? Do you think the devil would tempt me to do that? The answer is yes, he did. Because the devil, he'll tempt you to do anything. He won't hold back. And so I was tempted to do it, uh, but it's not a sin to be tempted, is it? Uh, because Jesus was tempted in all points like us, yet without sin. A lot of people are fooled into thinking that if you're tempted, you just sin. You haven't sinned. The devil will try to make you think you've sinned, but you haven't. It's only a temptation. And you can throw the thing out and say, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. And you can quote the verse, you have not sinned. And so the devil tempted me to touch the wires with my screwdriver. And do you think that I yielded to them temptation? Do you think I touched that screwdriver with, on those wires with 550 volts? The answer is yes. Yes, I did. I touched it with that. I yielded to that temptation and I put that screwdriver. I didn't have anything else to do. I was sitting there looking at those wires and what else could I do except put my screwdriver on those wires? And so I touched those wires. And then what do you think happened? That electricity went through my screwdriver. And there was a big, huge bang. 
And a great flash of light and a great big cloud of smoke went up and everybody jumped and everybody looked at me and uh, this big cloud of smoke was going up and a big flash of light and I scared me to death and, and uh, I looked at my screwdriver and the whole end of that screwdriver was gone. It melted it right off. And uh, I'll never forget that. Do you know why? Uh, because that electricity represented something. And those wires represented something. And my screwdriver represented something. And the handle on that screwdriver represented something. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. And I don't think you'll forget it either. That screwdriver represented me that sinned by touching those wires. And the end of that, the whole head of that thing blown off represented my head being blown off by sin and me having eternal death. Did I deserve it? Yes, I deserved it. The uh, electricity represented the wrath of God that's no respecter persons. The two wires, one wire represented the first four commandments, the other wire represented the last six commandments, the two tables of the law of God. And... Uh, I would have been dead. I would have died. Uh, that electricity would have gone right through my arm, through my heart, and I'd have dropped dead instantly because electricity is no respecter of persons. Neither is God, except for one thing. The plastic, the handle on that screwdriver. And what did that represent? It represented Jesus, the grace of God, to save me. And you know what else that screwdriver that got its head blown off represented? It not only represented me, it represented Jesus who got his head blown off on the cross of Calvary. He took all of the wrath of God on himself. That's why I cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He, all of them, like a mountain of wrath, fell upon him. There's no way we will comprehend that, but we will be studying it forever. In heaven, there will be scars in his hands and feet and side. We'll study what he did for us forever. And we'll say, thank you, dear Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you. And so I'll never forget that wonderful thing. And I want to close by giving a little illustration of the grace of God. It happened in a place called Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. In Gettysburg, there was a great battle of the Civil War, remember? And uh, General George Meade was the Union general on Cemetery Hill. General Robert E. Lee was a Southern general on Seminary Ridge, one mile apart. It was a terrible battle, July 1, 2, and 3 of 1863. Some of the men fighting in that, those armies were brothers, fighting on opposite sides. It was a terrible thing. The battle raged on and on for three days. And um, uh, after three days, uh, something... And by the way, the, uh, those two generals, George Meade and Robert E. Lee, were graduates of the same school. They'd gone to school together. Now they face each other in mortal combat. And the destiny of the nation hangs in the balance. Uh, the telegraph lines to the south were dead. People milled around the office in Richmond, Virginia, that's my hometown, wondering what had happened to the Army of Northern Virginia. Uh, President Lincoln was afraid, 
that uh, uh, Harrisburg would be taken and that Washington would be burned and everything might go. The battle raged back and forth, July 1, 2, and 3. Some of the men were brothers fighting on opposite sides. And now all of a sudden, July 3, all of a sudden, a great artillery barrage opens up, 200 cannon opened fire on Seminary Ridge on the southern side, pounding, pounding, pounding those poor boys on Tem Cemetery Hill over there, pounding them for hours. The smoke of those guns rolled up like the smoke of a furnace for hours. Now all of a sudden, the guns were silent. And out of that smoke rose 15,000 men dressed in gray. They called them Pickett's Brigade. They marched across the field in silence, probably wondering what uh, if there's anybody still alive over there. They marched across the field, and when they got halfway across, it's half a mile out, all of a sudden they broke out into a rebel yell, and then something terrible happened. A Union officer, who some say had disobeyed orders, had dragged a cannon up to the top of a rock called Little Round Top. He aimed that cannon right down to that great wall of humanity, 15,000 men, and they put chains in the cannon. Chains that when it blasted, these chains would blast out, going like this, and just cut a big swath of maybe eight feet wide through human flesh, just right going across the ground, cutting a great swath of humanity. And he opened fire with his chain shot, time after time, and then 100 cannon on Cemetery Hill opened fire as this great wave of humanity comes up the hill in the cemetery. A hundred cannon opened fire right in their face. And they keep coming, they keep coming, being blown apart. They pass the bloody angle of that old stone fence a little and into the cemetery and then that great tide of humanity ebbs and starts to retreat. It took me three days to get back across. The, the Potomac River into the Shenandoah Valley amid pouring rain. Meanwhile, President Lincoln kept telegraphing me, pursue the enemy, stop his power, end the war, have the bloodshed pursued. But Meade didn't move. A Jesuit had come, Lee with, uh, Meade was a Catholic, a Jesuit priest came to him, or a Jesuit, and told him, don't move, sit here, do nothing. He didn't move, he didn't do anything. They just sat there. At the end of that battle, 50,000 men lay dead on the field. 50,000. They laid everywhere, up against the trees, peach trees and the rocks and the wheat field. And men, you could hear men groan and cry. At 9 o'clock that night, there was seen a little spot of light coming down across the field. It was an old Quaker farmer uh, uh, looking for his boy in the Union Army. Just picture him going along with his lantern, looking at the piles of dead looking at their faces and turning them over. Once in a while, he holds up his lantern, and he cries out, John Hartman, thy father calleth thee. He hears men groan. One poor boy said, would God it were my father. And he goes on a little farther. He goes down by the devil's den with his lantern looking for his boy. John Hartman, thy father calls thee. He hears a faint voice, but the ears of love are keen. Here, Father, here, Father, this way, Father. He goes over and he finds his boy all covered with wounds and blood. He picks him up on his strong shoulders, and blood runs down his gray Quaker coat. 
And he carries him home, home to mother, home to love, home to healing. Friend, your name may not be John Hartman, but whatever it is, thy father calleth thee. (laughs) Do you hear that voice calling your name by his Holy Spirit? He's calling you just the same. And if you'll say, here, Father, this way, Father, the lovely Jesus will pick you up in his strong arms and carry you back to the Father's house. There by the throne of God, by the tree of life, by the river of life. We're going to talk about these things more at 1.30. Things of prophecy, things that are coming just ahead of us. I pray that you'll be here and maybe help somebody else come. May God bless you. We'll see you at 1.30. To our lovely Jesus, we pray this morning. Thank you for the message, Lord. May it burn in our hearts so that we share it with everyone we meet. So that on that glad day, we can meet those that we've shared the good news of the gospel with in that heaven above. We long for the heavenly country. In Jesus' name, amen.